0: you need to not only change what you do but what you you have to change what you think is important
1: right okay that that makes sense to me that makes sense
0: yeah and that's in order to make things better right because we can't just act differently and assume things will get better right we have to assume that something else is going to be more important And I'm Evan,
1: and uh, Evan's actually going to be taking the lead on on this series. Uh, so, what what book are we talking about?
0: Uh, we're going to talk about Maps of Meaning by Jordan Peterson.
1: All right, and uh, the idea of this podcast, uh, Lessons Learned, is that uh, we're going to either take turns reading different books, or uh, either Evan's going to come up to me with books and say, "Hey." Uh, this is pretty cool in a philosophical standpoint where we're just going to discuss it as uh some young men in college and just kind of the outlook on life we have on that. So, uh, Evan, I'll let you go ahead and take the lead on, on these quotes that you found in the first couple chapters.
0: Sweet. Well, I mean, obviously, there's going to be a lot of this book. It's known as a really deep and kind of hard to get through so luckily I'm going through it with someone that understands philosophy very well outside of this which is why I can talk about it a little bit better um, but I thought part of the important stuff would be in the intro so I just kind of wanted to highlight a couple of things because I know that you already know about Jordan Peterson mm-hmm. pretty well so part of it I don't know if you knew he started out as a socialist oh wait when he was in Canada really yep he was definitely a socialist and something that he said in here was it was in college when he was really socialist because he had fallen away from god and everything when he was in high school Mm -hmm. or maybe a little bit before that but when he was in college he really got into it and then he kind of got pushed away from it because of what he was seeing Mm
2: -hmm.
0: so here's Mm -hmm. one quote from it and i wanted to highlight the first sentence of it especially but the rest of it's also important Mm -hmm. so he says the left had a long and honorable history in canada and attracted some truly competent and caring people however i could not generate much respect for the numerous low-level party activists i encountered at these meetings they seemed to live to complain they had no career frequently and no family no completed education nothing but ideology
2: Hmm. okay
0: and i don't you don't want to talk too much about the things that we don't like about the left necessarily. Sure. But you know, that's kind of what he saw when he was there. And I mean, another thing that he did see while he was there, he joined this one committee board mm-hmm. that was in the school and they were all these more successful people and all of them were conservatives. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I shouldn't be liking this people like what's going on here. So that was going on. But I really liked that first sentence that the left attracted truly competent and caring people. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what happens now Yeah, is they really look like a party that's all about social justice and doing what's best for everybody.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's really interesting. I think you see like a lot of um, very intelligent and strong minded individuals like, uh, like Elon Musk, for example, he was talking about how he usually always votes Democrat and it's, it's odd because you know, he came from a different country and he came to America and started this incredibly successful business. Mm-hmm. And I mean, how, how could you not be at least moderate, if not right-leaning, because, you know, the whole, you know, capitalism and, and conservatism that comes with that. And it's kind of surprising that those people kind of lean left, but it, yeah, that totally makes sense that This idea that like, oh, well, like I care about like people and not just like about humans, but like how they feel and like ensuring that like people are treated fairly. It's like, yeah, that totally makes sense. Like coming from an outside place. So a foreigner, you know, and saying, well, I was treated horribly. So when I come to this new country, I want to treat people fairly. And that totally makes sense that that's how JP saw things. Um Real quick, for people that don't know Jordan Peterson, uh, do you want to kind of just brief? Because I'm sure there's plenty of people that don't know who he is, so just like a 30-second kind of who Jordan Peterson is.
0: Yeah, sure. So he is a professor and clinical psychologist. He was a professor at the University of Toronto, and he initially got some controversy there because he opposed Canada's C-16 bill, which uh, pretty much made it illegal to not use people's personal pronouns Mm -hmm. and he fought pretty hard against it as a free speech thing and that's kind of where he rose to prominence and then he's had some other interviews with people that kind of blew up and then he has a book called 12 rules for life and then he has a second one called beyond order and those are pretty popular and he's done tours based on those books
1: gotcha okay so this is that's just the intro is that he's just kind of discussing this?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's kind of talking about how he got to this place. And okay. another part in the intro that he said, I don't want to stick to this one very long, mm-hmm. but he's part of what he said is he thinks the world is made up of beliefs mm-hmm. in like a very real way. And he said he's become convinced that there are universal moral absolutes. So he does think that there's one thing that's true.
1: There's universal. Like there
0: moral is a absolute good and absolute bad. Okay. So that's just something to keep in mind. Okay. So but we can get in chapter one, there's a lot going on. He's pretty much talking about how we see the world and how we see meaning in the world and how that's changed over time. Mm-hmm. So earlier in the chapter, he talks about how like before the experimental mind, which was where like it's things like with science, age of reason, that sort of thing, they didn't see necessarily objective facts. Or things existing objectively where we can say, like, as a scientist or with a rational mind, say, like, that's a door and that's only a door. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. Everything for them had some sort of meaning behind it because they couldn't just have it be an object.
2: Gotcha. Is pretty
0: much what he's saying. So he's saying that kind of that's where a lot of these mythological stories came from. Mm -hmm. And he's talking about Christianity as well. Okay. And he talks about myth. Okay. He includes it in that. So keep that in mind because at this point he definitely didn't believe That it was real. Okay. So one thing he says is we no longer believe our own stories, no longer even believe that those stories served us well in the past. Okay. And that's kind of where he starts out just saying that we don't credit anything that's not objective. Sure. Is what he's trying to say. So because things like religion or myth or whatever didn't use some objective standard to tell what's true, Mm -hmm. we dismiss it immediately. Um, And later he, on the next page, he uses a Nietzsche quote, Frederick Nietzsche, Mm -hmm. who's a philosopher. Uh, And Nietzsche says in this, Christianity presupposes that man does not know, cannot know what is good for him and what evil is. He believes in God who alone knows. Christian morality stands or falls with God. If one does not believe in God, then he cannot claim such a belief in the morality. It has no justification. Hmm. And I really like that quote. Um, because, I mean, obviously you and I know that we can't know what's best for us. Right. We can only try to listen to God and hope that we're going for the best thing that's out there for us to do. Yeah, of course. Um. But, what and I've talked about this to you in the past, um, the culture that we have now takes these presuppositions about what morality is and what's good and what's bad that came from the Christian tradition, and they tried to just apply it without God. So they tried to take the Christian morality, separate God, and then take the morality by itself. Yeah. And what Nietzsche says here is that that's not possible, because you have no way to justify it.
1: Right, exactly.
0: And like, you can try to justify it with reason, Mm -hmm. but the problem with doing that is that ultimately our reason is still subjective, Yeah, and you can't drive objective truth from a subjective mind.
1: Yeah, and I think um, probably the biggest example of pulling something, pulling a moral that God gave us, and trying to cut ties from god with it and and like reason with it as humans would probably be like life and death and specifically like abortion Mm -hmm. right because you know in the bible god talks about not taking a life because that is that is not your call to make you can't sit there and be like this person deserves to live this person deserves to die because that's not your judgment to make that is god's judgment to make and as we see like in society like Murders a crime right right but now we're seeing like this kind of fudged line of like well this life it's in the wombs and i can't see it like i like it doesn't have a house it doesn't have a car it doesn't have kids it doesn't make money right mm-hmm. so is it really a life and that you see such extreme standards of that in like california right where california i told you about this like a month ago that they were trying to pass a bill and i hope it didn't pass but they were saying that they sh- it should be legal to kill a newborn 28 days after birth.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: it's, it, and it's gone from like, well, it, it's in a woman, like this fetus, it's it's not a human because it doesn't like live, breathe and walk and talk. Right. So, so yeah, kill it. And it doesn't look like a baby, etc etc et cetera, et cetera. And now, you know, California, which is like you could argue is like the homebrew for extreme left ideologies. They're saying like, Oh, 28 days after it's born. Yeah. It, it moves, it lives, it breathes, it talks, it needs food. It needs water. It does everything a human does, but like, it's just like a little thing, I guess. And like, you're removing that you're, you're blowing the lines of reason.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, right? yeah. And it definitely becomes a slippery slope because, When it is all subjective, you're able to convince yourself of pretty much anything. Yeah. And that's why we can't create our own morality is because if there's going to be a moral law that is objective and always true, then it can't exist from us because we can't create that by definition. Yeah. So if it's going to exist, it has to exist like the law of gravity exists. Yeah, exactly. Where it's just out there, which means that whatever had to create that had to be outside of our experience
1: yeah and i think that kind of outside perspective we can see a lot of that from like like a judge in the court system like somebody totally outside perspective to make these decisions and i know like a human comparing like the perspective of god to kind of like a moral uh mortal judge per se isn't necessarily a great analogy but i think it kind of Glean some type of perspective in regards to God being omniscient and right. being able to see and understand everything and, mm-hmm. and being like, I I am the final judge, you are not the judge, you can't go around killing people to and justify it by saying, well, I'm hungry, and I need the money or etc. You know, the same way when we when somebody commits a crime we go and there's a jury of our peers and there's a judge and these are all supposed to be non-biased people who are just judging us for the act and i think when we have such incredibly important societal morals such as like life mm-hmm. and death and and mm-hmm. freedom and free will and stuff to say that we as humans can just claim that and reason for that right. it's just not possible
0: and so what jp says about that Nietzsche quote is what we accept as true and how we act are no longer commensurate we carry on as if our experience has meaning as if our activities have transcendent value but we are unable to justify this to belief intellectually and that's kind of that thing that we've just been talking about is you can't intellectually come up with a justification for why anything would have meaning or why there's morality yeah um we're just not able to do that as humans Oh, for sure. We can say that things will give us meaning, but most of the things that Western society previously said gave us meaning, things like family Mm -hmm. and doing things for others and that sort of thing, that's Judeo-Christian values. Yeah. And what that's kind of been replaced with, especially the things that we've been seeing really recently, are effects of the sexual revolution, Yeah, where they say that sexual freedom will give you the most meaning or right. having a career financial success will give you the most meaning mm-hmm. and there's no way to justify that yeah um
1: isn't and it I mean, kind of ironic that what the bible's calling us to do and what kind of is god's way of saying like if you follow me and you and you have this family and you raise this this family under good christian grounds you really do feel fulfilled and happy and just like following God, you, you feel like your life is fulfilled, even though like, you know, right now, both of us were, you know, just were in college, we're trying to get through this so we can fulfill what we feel God's calling us to do. You know, it's funny that, uh, the society or sorry, um, the part of society, the left that cares or claims to care about, you know, how people feel and how people are living their life. They're like, oh, you want to be fulfilled. They're they're saying to do the exact opposite God calls us mm-hmm. to do, you know, oh, just go have sex, go out and party with people, get drunk and abuse drugs and, and do all these wild, right. crazy things. And, it, and that is the opposite of what God calls us to do. And you see most of those people are miserable.
0: Right. Well, and to me, it seems like a natural progression away from God towards that, where if you Leave God and stop listening to God, then yeah. I mean, it, it would make sense then, that if there's nothing else, then what would give you meaning is the things that are maybe pleasurable, mm-hmm. because what else would there be in life? Yeah, and especially you know, it, what I something I really like about this quote is it implies that if there is no such thing as God or anything like that, and we're just on this big rock,
2: mm-hmm.
0: there's no meaning at all. Yeah. Because where do you derive that meaning from? There's nothing there to give you meaning. Exactly. It's just a big rock, and we're just pieces of flesh on a rock. Yeah. Well, I mean,
1: space. Like some level of, like, what, bacteria is what they're saying we evolved from or something?
0: Right. I think that's part of where life started, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you can't say that life has any meaning if that's where it came from, because where do you derive it out of? Yeah. And I mean, philosophers will say that certain things can give you meaning, mm. and... You know, I'd like to do more studying about it, obviously, but to date, I haven't found anything convincing, and it appears that Jordan Peterson feels the same way.
1: Yeah, and given that Jordan Peterson, even though the book, what, 1998? 1999, I think. 1999, he wrote it. Even then, Jordan Peterson was far beyond our years. Right. And I would say having experienced plenty of things, Mm -hmm. and having been a socialist, having been yep. on that side of you know the so- society and, mm-hmm. and culture and stuff and he still is like you just can't derive life meaning from that. Yes. Yeah. That's a that's a pretty impressive statement,
0: I think so. And so he moves on and he talks about kind of the what seems to be face validity for these quotes or for these Old myths and stuff like that Um, so a couple quotes that he says about that the first one is this means that mythical rules are so powerful so necessary at least that they maintain their existence even in the presence of explicit theories that undermine their validity and another one that he says is it is is it actually sensible to argue that persistently successful traditions are based on ideas that are simply wrong regardless of their utility So, both of those kind of put together, in my mind. um, He's pretty much saying, like, what a lot of people say these days is because you can't back up religion with objective, or myths, for that matter, Mm. because you can't back them up or prove them with objective science or empiricism or whatever, because that's the case, then there's no value to them at all.
2: Mm.
0: But what he's saying here is, like, things like Christianity even though there could be empirical evidence or supposed empirical evidence that might undermine them, Mm -hmm. so for example, like evolution, Mm -hmm. Um, even given those things, these rules are still in place that came from Christianity. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, I think that's pretty true. I think even when we have things to say that may be part of this, and I'm not saying I think this, but in the minds of people that do think that Christianity isn't real because of like scientific reasons or whatever mm-hmm. even in their minds they don't think that Christianity is real but they're still using the judeo-christian value system to tell them how to act yeah that's pretty profound
1: yeah no that's it's wild and i would uh well I... if
0: they're using it it's like recognition that they know that it's yeah important or good or true
1: well, weren't we talking, um, oh, maybe like three weeks ago about that there's more proof about um, like Jesus and the events that happened around Jesus than like Socrates?
0: I mean, yeah, there's for mm-hmm. some of those ancient Greek philosophers, we don't know who actually said what. Right. And stuff like that. And they're older than Jesus, obviously. Right. And luckily, I mean, these days people don't contest that Jesus existed. Sure. What they do contest is that. He was just some like random prophet guy, and that he wasn't actually the son of God.
1: And it's just that's what just blows me away. Is you know, as as science advances and as uh, historians start going like, okay, well, let let me debunk the Bible, and mm-hmm. by trying to debunk it, they inadvertently you know they they show you where the Dead Sea Scrolls are, or they they're like, oh well. There might be uh, there might be some, maybe a little bit of fossilization of some wood that might be Noah's Ark, maybe, mm-hmm. and it's like, it, it's just funny to see. You know, not only do we, or just just society in general follow these Judeo-Christian values, mm-hmm. but, you know, they they they're like, okay, well, yeah, I I can get that that Jesus might have been like a guy, but like crazy guy, but. Then more and more proof come up, you know, or more and more evidence comes up mm-hmm. that these events did happen. And well, if if these events happened, then it's kind of hard to you know disprove that the rest of them didn't happen. There's um, didn't they find the rock that uh, and you, and you know the Bible a little better than I do, but didn't they find the rock where Jesus uh made split it and water came from it? I'm not sure. I'm I, I I don't I don't know that story, I don't know if you do, um, and I I could be totally wrong, but I know that there was a biblical stone, where water came from it in the middle of a desert. There's no water anywhere near it or anything, and water came from it, and you know scientists or historians, archaeologists these days found it and they were looking at it and and there was proof that the only way it split and the only way it eroded was because of water. Mm-hmm. And it's in the middle of this arid desert. There's no springs anywhere underground. There is no source of water anywhere, anyhow. And yet, it exists.
0: Um, I just looked it up for you. It's not Jesus, but it is Moses. Okay, Moses. In Exodus. Um, He ends up pulling... Yeah, water out of the stone mm-hmm. so they can drink it. Right. So specifically in the desert of sin. Yeah. Which is interesting.
1: Um, Definitely a story to look into. So,
0: yeah, I think that's really cool. I think something that our pastor talked about maybe a month ago now that always really stuck with me is that Jesus and everything that he did, all the stuff that he preached, mm-hmm. he didn't give you the choice Of saying that he was just this really good moral philosopher or something like that. Because obviously everything he was saying was very helpful Mm -hmm. and it made people's lives better. Like if you live according to those things. Right. I would argue. Pretty confidently. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so obviously he's speaking some sort of truth about what's good. Sure. And what pastor says is that he didn't give you the option of thinking that he's just a philosopher because he is either the son of God Mm -hmm. or he's just a crazy guy. Yeah. He doesn't give you an in-between. Yeah. And it seems less plausible to me that he would just be some crazy guy, given that he is giving this really good advice about how to live and that sort of thing. But like he says, he is the son of God and all these things. So it's like, he just doesn't give you that option. So mm-hmm. if you just read the Bible and like that stuff is super intact too, yeah. which is crazy. I know it's been through translations and stuff like that, but you can still go back to the ancient Greek and the ancient Hebrew yeah, and see what they originally said.
1: Well, that's something you, uh, me and and our girlfriends have been doing in when we we're doing like the, when we're reading the Bible and discussing it and finding the deeper meaning is we find often that in your version you have slightly different wording than ours. And while a lot of the sentences feel flipped. So instead of like uh and God said da-da-da-da-da, your version will be like da-da-da-da-da said God. And mm-hmm. and I kind of get lost when we're reading it through, mm-hmm. but we'll uh what was the word yesterday? Regretted. It mm-hmm. said that God regretted something. And I was like, okay, now hold on. Like that yeah. just doesn't make sense. And we and we looked it up in the original text that is that is the improper translated word because it's not regret that God felt right. so much as it was just that pain and sorrow mm-hmm. that I guess regret would be the closest emotional kind of tie to the word. Yeah. But the, the actual feeling in of itself of regret was inaccurate. Um But it, it just goes to show that you can, in fact, especially with our technology today, go back to the original Hebrew, go back to these original texts. If, if you're reading, your Bible, you know, uh, the in new international version or, or whatever, when you're reading, it's like, well, hmm. I can pull out my phone that's in my pocket at all times. And I can double check to make right. sure that this is true.
0: Yeah. Super helpful.
1: Yeah. Especially, um, going to, like, you even go to your pastor. If you're like, ah, I don't like phones or computers or technology that has. Right. Run this world for so long. You just go to your pastor. I'm sure that they've studied mm-hmm. it, and and our, our pastors have proven that time and time out. Yeah, right. All, all three yeah. of them. They've. I'd
0: say pretty much every sermon they give. There's at least one or two spots where yep. they're bringing up the original Hebrew or Greek.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think that's just so cool mm-hmm. because it. I feel like it really solidifies what they're talking about because it's not just. It's not just the English slang, yo. It's like, no, this is like the Hebrew. This is the original right. Greek. And it. I feel like it really solidifies in roots mm-hmm. what they're preaching. And they want to ensure that they're preaching from the root, not just the translation.
0: Right. Yeah. Um. So, moving on in Maps of Meaning, he kind of moves on to talk about the how we use morality and like how we value things. Mm-hmm. And I just picked one quote kind of from that whole section. Cause I really liked it. He says no functioning society or individual can avoid rendering moral judgment, regardless of what might be said or imagined about the necessity of such judgment action presupposes valuation or it's implicit unconscious equivalent.
1: Jeez. I, I, Small side note, sometimes when you're reading these things, yeah, if I lose just the slightest bit of focus, mm-hmm. it's all over my head, and then I'm trying to play catch-up the entire time, it's yeah. just...
0: Yeah, I'm lucky because I'm reading it, and yeah. just listening.
1: <laughs> you're actually reading this.
0: Yeah, so I'll go through it by section then. Yeah. So the first part, no functioning society or individual can avoid rendering moral judgment. Mm-hmm. So what he's saying is that whether it's us or whether it's someone else or whether it's the society in general, Mm. you have to make moral judgments. Right. Whether or not that judgment is necessary because you're going to make a judgment. Yeah. And so kind of his explanation of that is that action presupposes valuation or it's implicit unconscious equivalent. So when he says action presupposes valuation, mm-hmm. and I think this is something that he uses today because I've heard him talk about similar things. Mm-hmm. He says that today perception requires an ethical framework. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's it's a similar vein, but we won't go into that right now. So action presupposes valuation means that before you do anything at all, even if it's just looking somewhere, you are presupposing value and that you are deciding what is important to do or look at. So like right now, if you're looking at me because I'm talking to you, that means that you are doing it because you think it would be important to look at me as opposed to anything else. And I think it's just crazy because if you're giving things value Mm -hmm. before you can even act upon them, then you have to have, like Jordan Peterson says, an ethical framework or some moral system that can tell you what is valuable and what is important. Hmm. And for the implicit or unconscious equivalent, that just means that because we have to act so quickly, you can't always be aware consciously Mm -hmm. of what you're valuing. Sure. So if you're just kind of you know you look and move sometimes without thinking about it, mm-hmm. so that's just like an unconscious decision about what's
1: valuable right so j- just so I can clarify so we can discuss this better um so what what you're valuing mm-hmm. needs to derive from like a uh like an important moral sense,
0: I think so okay jordan peterson calls it an ethical framework sure but and that's why he thinks that you can't perceive without a moral framework because part of perceiving is like seeing or looking or whatever but you have to have something to tell you what to look at so or what to listen to
1: and is is this applying to like just everything you do ever yes so i know this is gonna sound just odd but um i'm i'm the reason I'm asking this is to apply it to just such a mundane thing. Okay. And the first thing that comes to my mind as, as we're sitting in my room is that, you know, one of the first things I do in the morning when I wake up is I'm like, man, I got to use the bathroom. Mm-hmm. So like just kind of following my train of thought, I kind of look over, I look around my room just to kind of, I, I don't know why I, I suppose just collect my bearings. Because say. you've
0: decided that it's important to look around and see what's going on in your room sure. before you act.
1: And I, and I would argue that it is, uh, it is important to observe your surroundings mm-hmm. after being in any period of unconsciousness. Mm-hmm. But, you know, then, then I, I get up, I, I, I know I kind of look around my room and I get up, I look at the door, I open the door, I go into the bathroom, I shut the bathroom door. Okay. And like, that's like my whole, um, that's like morning. I wake sure. up and that's kind of what I go through. So, Where I'm getting at is, so if, if the, if we're valuing things based on like a moral importance, Mm -hmm. where's the moral importance coming from in regards to like, look around, I guess we'll break it down. So I look around, I look at my door, I look into the bathroom, I shut the door and then toilet, I guess. So where's the, I I can understand the first one, moral importance of looking around and a sense of security, I sure. would say, to ensure that my environment is as I left it. You well, know? even
0: then, you're presupposing that it's important to feel that sense of security.
1: Okay. I think I... Okay, I think I understand this.
0: Because if you're saying that you understand why you would do that so that you can feel secure, mm-hmm. then that means you're implying implicitly that security is important.
2: Yeah.
1: I would definitely say security is mm-hmm. important. Okay. So... And the next thing, we have door, bathroom, toilet.
0: Okay. I'd say all of it fits into taking care of yourself.
1: Okay, sure. That makes sense.
0: And it's probably, I'd say it's probably a moral necessity to take care of yourself so that you can do other good things.
1: Right, because, I mean, I, I don't have to use the bathroom. Mm-hmm.
0: When the Bible tells us to take care of ourselves as well.
1: Right, exactly. So, okay. That doesn't make sense. I I was trying to push up against this idea yeah. with just a rather mundane thing. Well no,
0: and it's a good idea too because it shows how fundamental it is. Yeah. You literally can't do anything without there being some explicit or implicit value assigned to that action mm-hmm. or whatever.
1: Sure. I'm man, I'm trying to think. So Hmm. So okay. And and maybe this is this doesn't necessarily fall out of that that idea so much as it is a problem that humans use like their own free will to kind of fight against. But somebody who smokes, okay, I guess is where I'm going with that. Mm-hmm. We everyone knows it's bad for you unless you've been living under a rock and you smashed your TV thirty years ago, right? Mm-hmm. We all know smoking is bad for you. Yeah, and yet you know. They they go outside. It's kind of cold outside. They pull out a lighter and a cigarette and they mm-hmm. smoke.
0: Well, I mean, once again, it's the it's the action presupposes valuation, mm-hmm. like he says. So the fact that you're taking out the cigarette means that you value doing that.
1: But like, Whether, on moral grounds?
0: I mean, I don't smoke, so I'm not sure what moral grounds you would do it on.
1: Sure. I know it's a lot for for a lot of people they validate it by saying you know it's a it's a stress reliever
0: right which is once again taking care of yourself
1: right, but at the same time it's harmful
0: right and I would say also what can um what can come into it is biology mm-hmm. you know you can't ignore biology so if your body's forcing you to do it per se mhm then You know, you might not have a moral reason for doing it, Mm -hmm. but your body is still giving it value.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: But isn't this whole idea derived from having like this innate moral importance? Or am I, am I being confusing?
0: No, I think you're, I think it is always there. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I'll read again the second part of his first sentence we have that moral judgment regardless of what might be said or imagined about the necessity of such judgment. Mm-hmm. So even if the moral judgment isn't very like necessary,
2: mm-hmm.
0: there is still some sort of moral judgment being made. Sure. You just can't live without it.
2: Yeah. Huh. Hmm.
0: And I mean, I would say that individual actions Mm -hmm. would be better thought about as more of a sequence of multiple actions so like when you're going to the bathroom or whatever opening and closing doors is just part of that general sequence of actions sure i wouldn't say that opening or closing the door has any specific moral judgment as much as that sequence of actions that you've decided to do
1: right which is ultimately take care of myself right because i could choose to not use the bathroom and then One, that would just be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And then two, there are health consequences that come from that. Yeah.
0: Um, So does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it definitely makes sense. I guess I'm trying to understand the moral importance of smoking beyond the fact that it is now an addiction. right? You know, and and maybe that's what it is. It could be.
0: I mean, things can override. Right. Obviously, I mean, if you're looking for some sort of moral judgment, I mean, people do things... They're obviously not good Mm -hmm. and they can justify it. Right. Even if it's not a good morality, it can still be there.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Even, okay. So it's, it is moral, moral importance, period. But that moral importance doesn't necessarily mean Mm -hmm. the society thinks that's a a morally just yeah. reasoning yeah or even biblically speaking and
0: yeah and i don't know if a safer word to use instead of giving it that moral thing i think the moral judgment should be able to apply to everything mm-hmm. but if you want a safer word i would use the valuation that it's given value before you act on it
1: right that's just the probably, word you've been using that's the
0: safer word to use, right i would say before so,
1: you go down into the rabbit hole of like where's individuality the in mm-hmm. and, and personal moral judgment and importance and stuff, mm-hmm. which goes into like a whole social construct and individual construct. Yeah. And yeah. Okay. Understood.
0: So speaking of bad things, such as smoking, mm-hmm. uh, another quote that he says uh, in order to make things better, sometimes mere alteration in behavior is insufficient. We must change not only what we do, but what we think is important. Mm-hmm. This means reconsideration of the nature of the motivational significance of the present and reconsideration of the ideal nature of the future.
2: Ah, oh, man.
1: So, I, I almost totally followed that one. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, it gets hard at the end. There's two pieces there that mm-hmm. he talks quite a bit about in this book mm-hmm. or in the first chapter. One is the motivi- the motivational significance of the present. And the other is the ideal nature of the future. So he is talking about here, basically, the is-ought problem. Okay. And a quick summary of the is-ought problem is how do we go from what is, Mm -hmm. a.k.a. the objective world, to what ought to be. Okay. Or morality. Okay. So what he's kind of talking about in this book in general, at least in this first chapter, is that the is problem can't be solved by just objective science. Because science can't tell you what to do morally. It can't tell you what's good and it can't tell you what's bad.
1: Yeah, it can only tell you what is. Yes. Okay. So that's
0: kind of the is-op problem. Okay, got it. Um, so when he says this means reconsideration of the nature of motivational con- significance of the present and reconsideration of the ideal nature of the future... It's pretty much in the present what is significant to you and what is making you act in the way that you're acting. That's your motivational significance. Okay?
1: Okay.
0: So, given the things that are in your present Mm -hmm. and that are making you act in the way that you are, Mm -hmm. or whatever's going on, then you have to think about the ideal nature of the future. So, looking forward, what's the ideal thing that would be happening? Okay. Okay. Okay, so those are those two parts. Okay. And so I'll go back. So he's saying that alter or alteration of behavior is insufficient in order to change you need to not only change what you do, but what you you have to change what you think is important.
1: Right. Okay, that that makes sense to me that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and that's in order to make things better. right? Because we can't just act differently and assume things will get better. right. We have to assume that something else is going to be more important. Mm -hmm. So, I would, an example that I've struggled with in the past, I guess, uh, would be for the motivational significance of the present. Mm -hmm. Let's say that that's video games. Okay. I am motivated to play video games because they're fun. Right. But, you know, I don't get meaning from video games. Sure. Yeah. Because they don't accomplish anything. Actually, Mm -hmm. I personally think that. Video games give you a false sense of accomplishment that's not helpful, mm-hmm. and it's just like a distraction. Um, but I do still play video games. I'll make that clear. Mm-hmm. But I still think that's true. <laughs> um, but okay, so if we're taking video games and they—that's what you think is important because you want to have fun, or whatever, whatever reason you're playing video games. Sure. Um, you need to rethink what's important about that so you can't you can't just stop playing video games because you're just going to want to play them right so you have to reconfigure what is motivationally significant Mm -hmm. in your present first that's step one Mm -hmm. and then part of it is reconsidering the ideal nature of the future which means looking at the future and you might have to move things around to decide that something that you didn't think was important previously should be important right and that's how you make things better Mm -hmm. because with the video game example playing video games and always thinking that they're going to be important like in your future Mm -hmm. that's not going to change anything the video games are going to be the same you're not going to make any difference Mm -hmm. in your life and especially like if, if it was me i would find times where especially during the summer when i didn't have school and stuff i was just unsatisfied yeah, I just got bored with video games. I have, you know, a bunch of them on my Steam
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, game list, but or in my library. But with all of those, I was still bored. Yeah, and I felt like there was nothing for me to do. The way to make that change isn't just to play a different video game. You can't just change that behavior, right? A fix for that would be something else has to be important. Yeah, and that's kind of what he's getting at here, and I think it's super important if you're trying to make important changes. Yeah. And I think that's what he does in his book, 12 Rules for Life and Beyond Order, mm-hmm. is he's showing people that there's these other things that are important than what they're focusing on. And I think that's part of why the sexual revolution is so bad, because it's telling people that these things are what's important, yeah, and it's reframing people's minds to think that that's the important things. And it's not even just a sexual revolution, so it's not just sexual freedom. It's also things like careers mm-hmm. or financial success. Because then people, people are told and reframe their minds to think that that's what's important. And you can't just, like, stop doing that. You have to reframe your whole mind to realize there's other things that's important.
1: Man. Oh, man. That just, I feel like my mind just, like, grasped all of reality in an instant right there.
0: That's what it's been like going through this book.
1: Because, like... I I totally understand what you're talking about with the video games because like we have comparable Steam libraries. I don't um,
0: know, I've got like 200 plus. So. Okay,
1: we don't have comparable Steam libraries.
0: Yeah, that's a problem.
1: But I I'd say we have comparable game libraries. Sure. Cuz you know, I I have I got two Xbox, the 360 and the one. Mm-hmm. I have plenty of games on both systems. I have all the old games and stuff. On top of the fact that I did just put an emulator on my laptop and the VR, and I, I definitely would say that there's an importance to video games, especially in regards to, uh, you know, a long week or a long day, mm-hmm. or even, and probably more importantly and more justifiable, spending time with your friends, sure, especially over long distance with like uh the like voice chats like Discord and stuff mm-hmm. when. Um, when I haven't talked with a friend in a while or like over the summer, you and me got to reconnect and kind of had a reason to chat and uh, in in some sense or another be with each other while playing those video games. But I can definitely, definitely, definitely understand this whole, like I can play this game and I, I win and I'm good at it, but I'm still bored. Yep. And I'm still like, uh, it doesn't do anything. No. And it's like, I think there's an importance because especially after I get done working, like when I was working on the motorcycle and I was covered in sweat and stuff and I took a shower and I was like, oh, I get to like chat with Emma and I get to play some Forza Horizon 5 and that's it. And it wasn't inherently about like being amazing at it. It was just about the enjoyment. And after that, I was like, man, my day feels fulfilled. I I did the work and I had some enjoyment out of it. I think that enjoyment's uh, indicative of each individual person, mm-hmm. but man, does that, I feel like that explains so much. I, mm-hmm. I just remember growing up and and not feeling satisfied. And I think a lot of it derived from, you know, my family lacking the center of like what God calls you to do, mm-hmm. you know? And, and when you, when you, when you fill your life with that moral importance of what God calls you to do and being with family and being with community and, and working hard and then taking the time after working hard to relax and enjoy, like, that's something I'm realizing now. And the fact that you've now explained it to me in, like, more tangible mm-hmm. concepts, I feel like I can understand so much more better. Like, mm-hmm. especially now with me, like, losing weight, right? So, like, I'm doing this new diet and stuff, and it it's not just – I can't just go, I'm going to stop eating – yeah bad food. Yeah. I'm gonna stop eating so much food. Mm-hmm. It is like what do I value more? Yep. The cookie and how good it tastes, or do I value being slimmer and healthier and, mm-hmm. and having more energy? And it and, and it it truly was me saying no. I, I I value being slimmer and I value being healthy and I value being strong above all else. Yeah. And physically strong, but that had to take precedence and i found that once i did value that much more than like the cookies it's like man this is kind of easy like it it, you know i miss having a cookie every night you know or after dinner or whatever but it's like i feel much more fulfilled Mm -hmm. at the end of the day and reflecting and going like man like i i didn't have any cookies today you know the the only sugar you know I've been having is like the honey and I mm-hmm. and I do try to use that leniently throughout the day. So it's like, yeah, I did I especially on the days where it's like I inadvertently like fast or something, mm-hmm. where like I eat a small breakfast and then I go all the way to dinner and I was like, Man, I wasn't that hungry. It's like, wow, like I I valued myself and my health over like the short satisfaction or right. something.
0: Yeah. No, changes very hard. Yeah. When you're, when it's only behavioral, yes, you really have to rethink about what's important. Yeah, and that, that's been, I think, what we're both figuring out the past year or so.
1: Yeah, no, for especially sure.
0: moving closer to God.
1: Yes, I, I would argue a hundred times to Sunday, that when you put incredible importance in God, mm-hmm. and you're, and you turn to God and look to Him a lot in your life and you value what you feel he calls you to do there's so much more meaning and so much more value 100% way way more e- even on things like even on things that like just aren't at the moment tangible mm-hmm. like i you know i've wanted to do film i've made that very clear i want to be a film director right and it wasn't until recently that i felt very lively about it mm-hmm. especially when i when i was when i called you and i was like evan i got i got to write this script and i got to submit it to the daily wire and you know i got to reach out and i started, got to do these things and and you were like i asked you i was like are you cool doing a podcast and then what was it like last week you're like i think we should do a podcast and it's like it's like this this moment now for me mm-hmm. is way 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 more valuable than a lot of things that I've I've done in my life, right? You know, because I feel like not only are we doing something cool, unique, and productive, I feel like this is the direction that God might be calling both of us, right? And that is, and putting, and only was it putting God as the importance in my life mm-hmm. and re and redirecting my life to mm-hmm. to see that God was the importance. Have I ever felt this kind of like fulfillment in my life? Yeah,
0: it's crazy. How much better it feels to be doing something for someone beyond yourself.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Like doing something for God. Mm-hmm. How is there anything more important than that?
1: Yeah, and I mean, you could you could even say like, from a a uh, what's the word a, a secular perspective, um, like oh well, like I I don't believe in God, you know, da 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 da, da. but like, even if you had to fake it till you made it. Mm -hmm. kind of situation even if you were like all right you know let let me see if i can just give this god thing a shot and you kind of were like you know god like i don't i don't know who you are i don't i don't really know what you're about but what plan do you have for my life you know the next morning you wake up and maybe somebody reaches out with an internship or maybe just a simple comment like uh Mm -hmm. you know like like you go, you go to like a a wood shop class or something for college that you're just taking for fun, and, you, and your professor comes over and they're like, you know, you you're doing really good in this class. You just seem to have a natural knack. Right. It, you know, I feel like it's those moments where you're brought, you, you feel like you're brought the most joy. Mm-hmm. Um, in a memory I recall, I was in a grocery store, and I've wanted to be like a YouTuber for a very long time. Of course. <laughs> of course. But um I was at I was at the grocery store and I, I I always tell stories. Um but my mom I was telling my mom a story and uh, she laughed and and we laughed and she thought it was funny and stuff and some other just just a random customer. I think we were at a uh, Myers, which I know you don't have Myers here but you know. Yeah. It's like fancy Walmart. <laughs> so we were at fancy Walmart and just some random customer or something. She overheard me laughing and telling my mom just kind of like the story. And, you know, I always kind of play it up just to be a little bit funnier is really my goal. And she was like, wow, you, you just have such a contagious laugh. And like, I just love how you kind of present these stories. And I was, I think I was like a freshman in high school. Mm -hmm. So I was like 15, 14, 15. Yeah. And like, do that lit up my world. Right. I was so happy. And like at the time I posted it on Facebook and I was like, oh my God, like things are so cool. Yeah. But like at the time I feel that if, if my life was more centered around God, I feel I would have felt a lot stronger about that calling in that yeah. moment. Yeah. And just like recalling little things like that before I put God as such an mm-hmm. importance and how, how much that made me feel just fulfilled. Yeah. And now that I have put God as the importance in my life, just it's you know, it's not constant fulfillment, you know, we're imperfect people, but like
2: mm-hmm.
1: man oh man, it's like I feel like my life has direction even though I'm still like in okay. the muddy water.
0: It's a big difference.
1: Yeah. And it's I'd argue so important especially at our age.
0: Yeah. It's comforting. Yeah. And then it's like you know, there's all the people that maybe find their faith when they're middle aged or whatever or they even decide really what they're setting their mind on mm-hmm. when they're middle-aged, mm-hmm. when we're our age, twenty twenty one, 21, and we can figure out what we're supposed to do, especially if it's from God and we can be that motivated yeah. because it's from God. We have so much time to get good at it.
1: Yeah. Right. Well, even as, uh, as the, as our youth pastor told me, you know, I asked him, I was like, man, like, uh, how do you, how do you know if, if God's calling you to do something or if it's just some crazy dream that you're kind of like, uh, projecting onto what God Mm -hmm. calls you to, or, or just might not be calling you to do at all. And he comes back and he's like, well, a dream is important nonetheless, especially if you're very passionate about it. Yeah. He's like, whether or not you're listening to God, you know, uh, take some time and pray, Uh, god give me a clear sign that only i could understand and that's that was the the following day of that is when i got the sign that i felt like i was doing the right thing by working on that motorcycle Mm -hmm. you know and it was like boom it almost instantaneously you know i'd argue so it's like and i've i've prayed since then about things you know god god am i am i doing the right thing right now am i am i following the right path and there's Something the next day, whether like you say something or uh, Emma says something or just somebody says something or something happens where I'm just like, yeah, like I'm so excited to do this thing. And it's just like, I know that that was sent from God in some way, shape or form. He worked through this entire collection of life and, right. and things to make me understand him and what I felt he was coming to do. And like,
0: yeah, that's the at, Holy Spirit
1: at 20, dude. Yeah. At 20 and 21, like... It's crazy. Ah, I feel like you can really sort your life out.
0: <laughs> yeah, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Um, so with the last little bit here, I have one more quote that I want to go over. And I'll just let you say what you think. I don't think I really have to explain this one. Mm-hmm. If we are somewhere we don't know how to act, we are probably in trouble. We might learn something new, but we are still in trouble. When we are in trouble, we get scared. When we are in the domain of the known, so to speak, there is no reason for fear. Outside that domain, panic reigns. It is for this reason that we dislike having our plans disrupted and cling to what we understand.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) I feel like my innate response for something that I do understand is just absolute confirmation repeated (laughs) yeah um oh man okay so i just there's a lot of things in my life that i've either seen or experienced that i find that's so applicable to sure but probably oh man i i guess a simple baseline experience in in that i've personally experienced and seen somebody else experience is like making new friends, especially like at college. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause like for me, I'm coming all the way across the country here. Yeah. So it's like, I know I don't have like, Oh, like my family is just three hours away, which I know that sounds far, but like at the time or now for me now it's that's short. Three hours is nothing compared to 24 plus, but, you know you're you grew up with your family and your friend group and even if you did move like you know at some point in high school you established mm-hmm. a community yeah. right, that was your community even if it was one or two people you know but you go to college and it's like i know no one and i know nothing and i'm kind of scared because i don't know I'm, like, like in my example, like I'm all the way across the country. Do people, Are people going to think I have, a, like, a weird vernacular? Do people think I'm going to have an accent? Like, are people going to judge me all the time? Mm-hmm. You know, just, like, even simple things like that. But it's, like, you get into the situation where you're trying to make a friend or something, and you kind of, like, have that panic mode. And I feel like everybody has, like, their innate... New friends panic mode. Mm-hmm. So like mine is like tell funny stories, make everybody laugh. If everyone laughs, now I'm comfortable because I can make people laugh. And if you can make people laugh, people like you. Yeah. And I've seen other people where it's like they just shut down. Bye bye. <laughs>
0: like yeah, that's probably me more than <laughs>
1: yeah. So, ah oh man, I don't. Is is there something beyond that? that might be going over my head in regards to uh, perhaps understanding in a new light or mm. on a, a deeper level to help tackle the situation.
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, this one kind of, I think it kind of can highlight the struggles of what we can do as Christians.
2: Mm-hmm
0: especially when it comes to evangelism and like spreading the word and stuff like that, mm-hmm. because everyone has been told, especially people that are our age, yeah. they've been told that they need to go figure out what's going to be the thing that gives them meaning. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be some sort of career mm-hmm. that gives them meaning. Hopefully it's high paying because money's important mm-hmm. and also have sex. Yeah. I think those are really the biggest things that we are kind of told um speaking from personal experience at least like in oh, high yeah. school that's what it seemed like
1: no absolutely was the culture
0: and in college especially in college i'd say more so than high school honestly yeah but i think that makes it difficult being christians because when we're trying to spread the word people don't like the new things yeah they don't like what's they don't like that unknown they like to stay in their little, as Jordan Peterson says, their domain of the known. Mm-hmm. The things that they understand because it scary you out of that because they don't know what to expect if they're not in it. So it makes them more inclined to be hostile or not listen to us. Yeah. And I think it's also prevalent because even people that are Christian can struggle to maybe, like, say, jump in your faith with God. Yeah. Because... You don't know. You don't know what that will necessarily entail for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the Bible tells and stuff like that. But understanding it intellectually, what will happen, is way different than like yeah. being prepared for like the the presence of it. Yeah. And I think it can just be something that can hold us back, mm-hmm. people our age back from being willing to hear the word of God because they don't want to hear something like that, mm-hmm. especially when they're told that it's a bad thing. Yeah, by a lot of people in culture so when it's a thing that's probably bad according to them, you know they're definitely gonna cling to what they already understand so that's where I saw that quote
2: yeah so
1: um re reapplying that to personal experiences but on the terms of like God and Christianity I know you've heard this story a, a multitude of times mm-hmm. but uh I think in this situation, it is rather applicable. And I'd argue strongly applicable, especially for those who um, are are kind of like on the fence about God or they're like, yeah, like I believe in God, but like Mm -hmm. they've never really reached out. And it's of course the story of when my mom, when I called my mom and I was, you know, and I was sitting there questioning, you know, what, what is the easiest way to not wake up tomorrow morning? that least inconveniences people. Mm -hmm. And I called my mom and I was like, you know, I, I'm, I'm in this situation that I just, I can't, I can't do it anymore. Mom. And she was like, well, you should pray. And you know, as like, I grew up, I believed in God and stuff. And it was like, yeah, like God, but like, Mm -hmm. man, it was like, those words hit me like a truck because it was like, you're in this incredibly difficult situation. I want you to reach out to something that you've only just kind of conceptualized. Yeah. You know? And it's like, Oh no. (laughs) Cause you're like, you're, you're at rock bottom, man. You're at rock bottom. Like you don't want to be at rock bottom anymore and you will do whatever it takes to not be at rock bottom. Mm -hmm. So if, if plan a is talk to a concept, and plan B is not be alive anymore. I'll take plan A first for sure. Yeah. But, like, whew, why is that plan A? You know? And it was definitely exactly like you said. It's just something like you can intellectually grasp that you're just not literally ready for. Yeah. And. You know, I, I I know you've heard the story, but, you know, I, I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, mom, I'll do it. And, you know, at first it was a little like, you know, that's, I feel kind of weird about it. You know, I haven't done it in a while. And she's just like, we'll just like, just do it. Just do it. And she didn't, she didn't sound scared. She didn't, like, she wasn't on the verge of tears or anything. She was, she just seemed very calm. Mm-hmm. You know, she was like, well, just, can you just pray? And I was like, yeah, okay, okay, mom, I, I, I can pray for you. Like, that's what I'll do. So... I remember I sat down in the room and I put my back against the door, just safety. But, um, you know, I, I crouched down, I put my butt on the floor and I crossed my hands, um, on my knees. And I, I just prayed to God and I did it in the only way I knew how to, which was very, just kind of like friend to friend. Yeah. So I was just like, Hey God, I know we haven't talked in a while. And I just kind of like, chatted with him and i was just like you know i things are hard things are hard hard and i just i can't do it anymore like i really cannot just do this anymore it is it is beyond me Mm -hmm. and i i just kind of sat in silence for a little bit um and i said just like a couple more closing words and i you know amen i sat there for a minute and i stood back up and like dude I, I kid you not, it felt like there were like hands on my shoulders, but they were like picking me up
2: mm-hmm.
1: and just like, what a wild feeling that was. Yeah. And I, my mind was so clear and I was like, I need to get myself out of this situation. And yeah. I just, I did exactly what I needed to do to remove myself from that situation yeah. as, as quick as possible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was it was difficult to get through that situation, but and I just I felt like I was not alone. Yeah. Not even a little bit. I felt very, very supported and I felt like somebody was standing right there and they were like, All right, let let me help you. Let me yeah. help carry this burden. Yeah. And like It's crazy. It's wild. Yeah. And like I just I have to say, like if you're ever scared. Like, if anybody's ever scared to, like, take that step, be scared and panic and do whatever you got to do, but just take that step. For sure. Because, like, Mm -hmm. man, that, like, from there, you know, from there, that changed everything. Everything for me. And that was, what, two years ago?
0: Something like that. No, a
1: year and a half. Year and a half. No, a year and a couple months. Sure. I think. Yeah. No, it's only been, like, a year and a couple months. Mm Mm-hmm. And did a lot. Yeah, it's it's changed a lot. Yeah, it has changed so much, and just yeah, and and that experience, I feel, covers a lot of things that we just discussed. You know. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, I was gonna say to tie it back, in a kind of a nice knot, mm-hmm. as we close up. That is a truth that can't be defined by objective empiricism.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But it's still true. Yeah. And that's what so many people miss today because they think that in order for it to be true it has to be objective.
1: Right. And you know, there's a lot of people you hear a lot of people that are like, "Oh, well I only believe in objective truths." Yeah. And it's like <sighs> but like mm-hmm. you, if if you're at your lowest, even if you're not at your lowest, even if you're just at a low point, couldn't you just for a second try yeah and just put a foot out there right and see if if it helps you mm-hmm. you know because man like for like so from there i put myself in a difficult situation and from there i experienced a subjective truth right and on top of the subjective truth mm-hmm. it changed the importance of my life what yeah. i valued to be the true importance in my life mm-hmm. and just like
0: changes everything yeah yeah Yeah.
1: And what an experience.
0: Yep. So we'll go more into maps of meaning. That was only most of, that was chapter one in the intro. Mm -hmm. So there's a long ways to go. Mm -hmm. Uh, Next section is more going to, I think going to be biology based, but I don't know for sure yet. Sure. I know he goes into the brain and stuff like that, but there'll be a lot to go through. Um, Kind of the thing that he's trying to do is figure out these mythical rules and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. religious rules. And he's trying to ground them in empirical Evidence, sure. So that he can fix that isop problem, mm-hmm. he's not going to be able to do it. Um, fair warning, but that's his goal. So sure. that's what we can look forward to.
1: Well, I think uh, for first episode, this was rather successful. I think we covered a lot of good topics.
0: Yeah, I felt good.
1: Yeah. Um. Well, thanks for everybody who's listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Evan, do you have any closing remarks?
0: Read 12 rules for life.
1: Yeah, that's that's something I got to read for sure. Um, closing remarks, I'd say if you're scared to do something, take the step, especially if it's reaching out to God, because I promise he's waiting. But uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thank you for uh, listening to our first episode, and we hope you enjoy, and we hope you come back next week for the second episode of Lessons Learned.